All right, welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. Uh, this week we've got a pretty full slate. We're talking about the one-year anniversary of the greatest movie ever made. Uh, we're going to talk about some interesting <laughs> sequel news uh, for a couple of different franchises, as well as uh, it sounds like a pretty constant topic, some more theater and theater closings and movie delays, and of course, everything we've been watching recently. Uh, so let's just go ahead and uh, pay our respects to Joker. Uh, you know, I, I thought I knew movies until October 4th, 2019, and uh, I just, I've been a changed man ever since. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Joker. Joker 2 when? Uh, I'm honestly surprised it's not already out. <laughs> uh, I'm really hoping they just rip off The Departed this time. You know, mm. maybe move it to a different phase of Marty. Yeah, what other Scorsese uh, movie could they rip off? Maybe some some Irishman vibes. It's just like makeup uh, to make Joaquin look eighty. He just sits in his wheelchair in the hospital. <laughs> He's contemplating things. Does Pacino? Uh, yeah. Is Pacino in there again? Or throwing uh, some claws? No. We got to Yeah, we got to find some other Scorsese mainstays for the next one. Uh, so you could you could probably do. I don't know. Pacino's not really a mainstay. Go with uh, Joe Pesci, maybe. <laughs> Bring him out of retirement for the 10th time. <laughs> He'll be the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually see this. Now I'm interested in seeing Joker, too. Todd Phillips, give us a call. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't really don't think we need to dwell on that movie much more. Um <laughs> but speaking of movies we don't really want to dwell on, uh, Jean Favreau's The Lion King is getting a sequel, um, which in itself would be pretty big news. But Barry Jenkins is directing it, which I think is going to be ultimately a good choice. Um, it's a choice that doesn't really make sense for the artist or the corporate entity. Um, just like when the news dropped, it seems like an odd combo. Um, but I think Jenkins is going to be Obviously, a very strong candidate for the Lion King too. I hope he can bring a lot more like grounding and depth to it. I mean, his last two movies were Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, which is a very solid uh, track record. Um, so I, I don't really know what this movie is or is hoping to be, but I have high hopes for it. This is so weird to me because if, I mean, you you see Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk, and they're the most humanist like super thoughtful just lovely movies that are very focused on just people dealing with very societal issues and then <laughs> you're gonna he's gonna go direct a bunch of cgi animals it's just so so weird to me i never would have thought he would do this but i mean i hope he gets paid that's good for him he deserves that and maybe if this is what allows him to just do an entire career of more moonlights and things like that then by all means, go for it. Everyone deserves to get paid, especially him. He's just, I, I consider him probably, if not the best, one of the best filmmakers working right now. Um, but yeah, this is just so, so weird to me. I, I don't know what you do with this, if this is going to be Simba's Pride, which I remember watching when I was five, but just from my parents telling me, I don't really know what happens in there. Is it going to be that or its own thing? Like It's just so bizarre to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree this is that he is going to get paid, right? Like, he, this is going to be a pretty good payday for him. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially 
if he ends up getting any box office points, which as the director of a big studio film, he probably will. I mean, the first Lion King, or the first Lion King, the second first Lion King, um, <laughs> made over a billion, what, like 1.6 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no doubt this one's at least going to cross a billion. Um, I don't know if it'll do better because we really haven't seen a competent Disney sequel so far. I mean, we had Alice through the looking glass, which just completely fell on its face. Um, and then we had Maleficent two mistress of evil, which I have just no recollection of either of those movies in my brain. Um, sometimes I'll see screenshots of them and be like, Oh yeah, that was a thing. Um, but we really like don't have a lot to track what the Lion King two could be like yet. Um, but I'm assuming he's going to get a ton of money regardless. I mean, like, it's Barry Jenkins, so we all know that it's going to be good. Like, this is going to be good no matter what, but I'm still weirded out that this is going to happen. And, of course, I do think that this is going to be a trend. It's already a trend. Obviously, we've seen a few uh, live-action remakes get sequels, and now we're going to start seeing the spinoffs, and it will kind of devolve into what we're uh, seeing with Marvel um, and, and all the and this huge expanded universe. Um, apparently, this film will be uh, exploring the mythology of the Lion King, including Mufasa's origin story. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and I, I mean, it's Barry Jenkins, right? You can't doubt him. It's going to be good. But it is so weird. Yeah, he's an incredibly thoughtful director. And I, I feel like I've spoken at length. I love the way he uses the camera and the way he just focuses on people's faces just to create empathy in you as the, as the viewer. I just think he's so good. And I don't really know how he'll do that. Just staring at a blank CGI face of a lion, but I don't know. And who knows? Maybe this, this does kind of remind me of something. Did you get, either of you guys see Beyonce's black is King a few months ago when that came out? I did not No. So, yeah. So that was, it was really interesting. Cause it used it. Apparently like that was what, <laughs> that was how Beyonce became, came on to the to lend her voice to the movie because she was like i just want to make these three different projects for you afterwards and disney was like sure so she made one of them was black as king which is the experimental music music video film that dropped on disney plus a few months ago and it's all these really elaborate and african infused dance numbers and it's really it's it's very very um, cool in that sense, and it's it's there's a lot of Lion King uh, just dialogue spliced throughout. Like you you have a lot of Mufasa talking, and then there's all these really interesting quotes that they use throughout. And it's basically reclaiming a lot of the Lion King for just black people, because I think there definitely is a discussion for Disney like westernizing a lot of the stories they tell. Uh, so I thought that was a really interesting ploy in that. Beyonce movie, which is kind of weird. I didn't really think that was going to happen, but um, maybe there's something, I feel like there's something similar to explore there. Cause I feel like Barry Jenkins could refocus this. Cause it, if it effectively is a, a black story, it's Af- African um, and, and the plains. I think there, there's something to play that with there that I think maybe um, excites him. I don't know. Yeah. I'm hoping this will be uh, not to use the phrase, my black Panther, um since we we're talking about joker a minute ago but i'm hoping that this will be kind of their live action remake version of black panther where they really just try to do something that reaches um and i mean you don't you don't get barry jenkins to do a play it safe kind of movie in in terms of that thematic approach so i'm i'm hoping that 
they reach for something deeper and and really deliver just something we haven't seen with these live action remakes so far. What are the odds that there is some somewhere down the line in the development stage we get the press re- uh, release that Barry Jenkins is a leaving Lion King two due to creative differences? Because I feel like that's very much in play here. Um. Yeah. You know. I. I don't know. Like. Um, I'm not 100% familiar with if Disney has had that occur a lot. I know there are a lot of other studios that have issues like that. Um, but is that something that frequently happens with Disney projects? Because I feel like they're, um, I don't know, I just don't remember seeing that too often. But it could happen here for sure. Ron Howard's like Barry Jenkins, The Lion yeah. King too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have everything with Star Wars. I don't know, I feel like the, they have a lot of, like, for... Maleficent 2, I, I couldn't tell you the director of that movie. Like, I feel like they get a lot of people who can just shoot things, you know, just tell mm-hmm. the story, shoot the script, you know. Um, and, yeah, I, I, they do sometimes struggle with their directors and whatnot. And, um, I mean, you just look at everything that Star Wars dealt with and you have everything going back from Josh Trank to everything that happened with Solo. I, it's just all over the place. So, I... Who knows? I hope he gets to make a really interesting movie because, yeah, Ryan Coogler, even before Black Panther, even just with Creed, there's just so many, so many interesting things that were just, quite frankly, never in a Rocky movie beforehand in that movie. And I, I just hope he gets to do something interesting because I'll be honest, I just I almost fell asleep during the first Lion King so many times. It was so <laughs> boring to me. <laughs> and I feel like no one left that movie being like, oh, yeah, that was great. It was just a movie that for like weirdly everybody saw for no apparent reason everyone like at best was just yeah it's it's a movie it's fine uh so <laughs> i hope he gets to do something interesting with it because then it would just be the worst that i have to sit through two of these live action lion kings yeah i mean point is though he, he's gonna get paid yeah drop the bag for barry jenkins he deserves it yeah barry will be making bucks uh good for him and then i guess kind of the other really out of left field movie announcement i mean what a week for just out of left field announcements in general um but just (laughs) the other kind of out of left field movie thing was jamie fox's return as electro for spider-man 3 number two um (laughs) i guess maybe spider-man 3 number three but only one has there's only been one that actually made it all the way to being called and released as spider-man 3 um but the news broke um, a few days ago, and then Jamie Foxx had this Instagram post where he was talking about how he's returning as Electro, um, and he said, I won't be blue in this one, but then the Instagram post was deleted uh, not long after. So, of course, there's just like a million articles speculating whether or not he'll be playing the same Electro or a different Electro or whether or not all the different Spider-Men will be involved with kind of a Spider-Verse situation and um, – Lots of craziness going on in the Marvel multiverse, but I feel like it could very easily be either way. Um, and I'm I'm kind of down to see Jamie Foxx return as Electro. I think like his performance wasn't the flaw with that character. It was the way that character just that movie was written with Sony desperately trying to make their own MCU. And so I'm hoping that they've learned from their mistakes. But this is also Sony, so I'm I'm not too optimistic. <laughs> I mean, it's it's neat that he's coming back, and I think uh, this is something that we might see, not super often, but I mean, we see it obviously with J.K. Simmons there coming in and uh, 
reprising his role. Um, but this is kind of maybe a shot of redemption for him. I think that's kind of neat. But I just want them to get weird uh, with these movies. Like we were talking before we came on, I want to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland, and I want to see a multiverse movie just for fun. Why not? Yeah, this yeah. is a backdoor, backdoor Spider-Verse sequel, maybe, mm-hmm. possibly. Mm-hmm. That would be the, that would literally be my favorite thing in the world if that actually happened. I would love it so much. But yeah, I think uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a, is a hot mess. That movie is just really, really <laughs> bad. It's 10 different movies at once. Uh, but I really love Jamie Foxx in that movie because he's so campy and there's so much meme potential in what he's doing in that movie. There's like the the Times Square sequence where he's like, it's he's like, it's my birthday. It's time to blow out my blow out my candles or whatever the hell he says. And he does his lightning strike and it's so bad, but I love it so, so much. Um, yeah, that movie's, that movie's really bad, but I love I love him in that movie, and it's just so over the top. And he's at he's at like a fifteen, and the rest of that movie is is at like a six or seven. <laughs> he's in a totally different movie, but um, it, honestly, if he brought the same energy to this, I wouldn't hate it. But uh, then maybe everyone else might hate it. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm just here for the memes and uh, Electro being bizarre. <laughs> yeah, my biggest fear is they're gonna try and use it as a shortcut to try and build up like their Sinister Six or something, which was kind of my biggest issue with The Amazing Spider-Man 2, where they were like, what if we just introduce every villain with one origin story? And like they have this whole setup with Doc Ock and the Vulture and Scorpion and all those Sinister Six people. So I'm kind of afraid they'll be like, ah, oh, people remember uh, Ryan or Rice Ephon's The Lizard. We'll just throw him in here too. Or <laughs> we already did a, an Electro origin story. So that's just part of it now. Um, so I'm hoping they don't take shortcuts, especially as we've seen, like with the slate Sony has been announcing and with Morbius. Remember when that movie was going to come out this year? Um, just like talking about how much they're trying to do at once. So I'm hoping it's it's handled with a little bit of feige oversight. Yeah, me too. It's I mean, yeah, Sony, they have I feel like we talk about this all the time, but they have no idea what they're doing. It seems like (laughs) just there's so much information that leaks out of there all the time. Like it doesn't even feel like they have like a United front on how they want to release their bad movie ideas. Um, Yeah. It's we've, we've been here at Spider-Man three many, many times and it feels kind of sort of like we're going down the same path, but yeah, Kevin Feige being involved um, is, I think is very helpful. And uh, just having that Marvel influence maybe gets rid of some of the schlock involved with the Spider-Man sequel at Sony. Uh, but yeah, I I want I want my Spider-Man as my my Spider-Verse sequel. That's all I care about. I'm actually seeing a new report here. It looks like Kate McKinnon will be reprising her role as Holtzman from Ghostbusters in the upcoming <laughs> Spider-Man Three. Uh, Sony's just throwing all their franchises into this. Is um, the Men in Black uh, Jump Street uh, also getting folded into this as well? Yeah, Channing Tatum and Will Smith will be returning. <laughs> um, yeah, that is what little Spider-Man news we have for now. And then the other big, big thing is uh, with No Time to Die uh, being pushed back into the next year. And now we don't really have any major theatrical releases until Soul, uh, which is still November 20th, but is also in the air. Um, there's been lots of rumors of that giving or getting a hybrid release, kind of like we saw with Onward. Um, the movies are kind of shutting down for the year, 
And so Cineworld uh, released a statement saying that they were considering closing all of their U.S. theaters, which would be every Regal theater in the U.S., as well as a lot of their U.K. theaters. So uh, theaters might actually be dying. And Tenet already came out, so I don't know what else we can do. Yeah, and, and just last week we went through the rest of the year the release schedule, and it got worse within five days. It's unbelievable. But yeah, it's it's really really scary for movie theaters right now. I don't know. I know they do all these things with extending lines of credit and getting more and more debt, but at some time that bill comes due, and obviously movie theaters are struggling already for uh, profit, like even before the pandemic, the margins were getting smaller and smaller. Uh, so this is just another really bad blow. And yeah, you have Soul coming out, which, yeah, Disney Plus is probably where that's going to end up. So besides that, like, we're looking at, unless you're a big Crudes guy, you got Crudes 2 coming out <laughs> Thanksgiving, apparently. Uh, but other than that, big-ish movie we're looking at is Free Guy. On des on December eleventh. Um, yes. Other than that, yeah. Other than that, you have Happiest Season, which is apparently supposed to be a Oscar movie uh, with Kristen Stewart. Uh, but yeah, in terms of big uh, tentpole entertainment, we're waiting until then. And I feel like those movies are also just a few weeks away from making decisions as well, because we the cases COVID cases are not going down here in the U.S. They're going back up, and then we're going in the flu season. So. I guess this is where I say everyone get your flu shots now because <laughs> it'll help immensely. But um, yeah, it's it's just it's one bad news item after another. Yeah, you know, I got a lot to say about this topic here. Um, and it sucks because this is coming kind of like the, the COVID hit at just, a, just such a sad time for theaters because I think 2019 and 2018 were really impressive years in terms of the box office. Revenue was certainly up. Um not only with Endgame pushing 2.8 billion, but you had The Lion King over 1.6. No one saw that coming. I don't know if anyone expected Frozen 2 to almost hit 1.5 billion. Um, Joker is a billion dollar R-rated film. Like there are just so many big blockbusters, but there's been this trend in Hollywood for the last few decades that is kind of um, counterproductive to theaters in a time like this because for the last few decades what you've been seeing is a slow transition for movie studios to focus on um, big blockbusters and really cut out their production of these middle-sized films the medium-sized movies and you're seeing every year less and less movies get made by studios because the priority is with those top 10 movies that they're making and they're they're all massive budgets they don't want to put those movies out in a time like this. Understandably, they can't open up in big markets. They can't do it. But what what happens is there's no content. I think what you saw these last few months was theaters start to open. And we saw good per-theater averages, pretty good per-theater averages, um, considering the situation. But now the per-theater averages are getting low again, back into the hundreds rather than the thousands. And there's just no content. And that's the issue right now. And that's why the theaters are definitely struggling. The, the medium-sized movies are gone. And... They're on streaming services, um, and 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 we have to rely on the big budget movies, and theaters just can't run them right now. Yeah, and I know a big issue was that there wasn't a lot of lobbying for government support on the U.S. side of things, and so there was an article I saw earlier this week that a lot of filmmakers were really trying to push for that now, um, and it really kind of feels like a too little, too late scenario. 
because um, the theaters are desperately in need of a bailout. And even when these movies do release, like we saw with Tenet, that doesn't necessarily mean people are just going to come pouring in and money's going to start flowing through again. Um, so it's it's a very scary time uh, to be a movie theater business right now. Yeah, I saw um, I saw James Cameron, Clint Eastwood, and Martin Scorsese are going to be lobbying Congress. <laughs> I saw yeah. that the other day. When Marty shows up and asks for money, he hand it over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean Netflix and Apple have done that. Have done just that because <laughs> they've given him what two hundred million for both his movies, Killer of the Flower Moon and The Irishman. Uh, but yeah, even we're looking at Tenant here, and uh, that movie was I think the big push behind that is we're going to be the only thing in theaters for months. So we're, we're going to play for months and months and months, and we're going to have all these weekends with $4 million and it's going to pile up and we're going to make our money back. Um, and now that's might not happen because it's right. It's over 300 million at this point, which I got to say, it's probably not the worst case scenario, all things considered for what you might expect from this movie. But yeah, these things close and you have all these, like, I know jobs will probably be lost out, uh, in the short term because of that, because there's, they're going to deal with a loss that it might get made, made up later on in streaming when it eventually goes to VOD and then all the rights to go with that. But yeah, it, it's a crazy ripple effect. And then just another, just the film industry is just really hurting right now. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there was a lot of, banking on tenant to really be this thing that kind of saved movies and you know you had movies that were optimistically scheduled for august even and, and october november and now they're all gone and if pushed back to you know february looks to be kind of the the next beginning of these big budget crowd drawing movies um because i'm at, at this point i'm assuming wonder woman's probably going to get pushed as well uh, as much as i want to see free guy it's probably gonna go that way um it's just what a what a crazy time um it's just a shame the rise of skywalker couldn't have been delayed by a year <laughs> um the thing too about tenant is you look even at its overseas grosses and it's it's what it's at 260 million overseas right now which is actually not bad uh all things considered like that's actually pretty good um but even then it is underperforming in china and china um it opened up in 22,000 theaters in china um, China's box office seemed to be back to normal. You have this uh, Chinese film, I forget the name of it right now, but it's made hundreds of millions of dollars and Tenet opens up to 30 in China. Right now it's sitting at 65 million overall gross in China. That's disappointing for Tenet. I think that they definitely wanted 100 million in China. They're not going to get it. Um, so even then you can blame COVID for a lot of its struggles here, 100%, and in maybe some other markets, but it could have done better in China and it didn't. Yeah, and along with that, with the um, mentioning all of these mid-budget movies that have just been basically disbanded by studios, and now these are all on streaming. And I feel like, even though we've talked about this for years, I feel like even before this podcast, where just everything was going towards streaming, and that was the way of the future. But even this fall, we have so much crap coming out on Netflix and HBO Max and Hulu, all these things that were probably pretty expensive um, that I'm sure uh, these platforms are going to put a lot of eyes on and people will probably like them. And that's kind of a point of no return for theaters now. Cause it's just like, Hey, we have your A24 horror movie that 
critics like and everyone hates, but it makes a decent amount of money. And then you have Avengers Endgame and then stuff like the trial of the Chicago seven goes to Netflix. Um, and then you have Rebecca also going to Netflix and Mank as well. And just all these, like you have David Fincher who's going to make a Netflix movie because studios don't want to make a, like a 60 million plus adult movie anymore. Um, but yeah, like, and I feel like, the vi- virus just exacerbated that issue now where they literally have nothing to show at any, in any way possible. RIP movie theaters. But uh, let's uh, go ahead and just talk about the competition of movie theaters because uh, Netflix is our overlord now. <laughs> um, it'd be one of like three companies left in a few years. And uh, it, you know, I don't think they had as big of a week as they did a few years ago um, but I'm just going to run through the top 10 for this week so in the number one spot they had American Murder The Family Next Door number two The Outpost number three Enola Holmes number four Welcome to Sudden Death number five that hit 2011 classic Yogi Bear uh, <laughs> and number six Vampires versus the Bronx number seven The Boys in the Band number eight Real Steel uh, which has actually been up there for a couple weeks. Number nine, The Social Dilemma, and number 10, You've Got This. Um, so no Illumination movies, which is surprising. Uh, that's pretty unusual. Um, but it does have a little bit of new activity. Um, Netflix has a lot of originals kind of dominating right now. So let's go ahead and start off with the number one, The American Murder, The Family Next Door, uh, which I believe, Nick, you had some words on. Um, yeah, I hate this movie, <laughs> and, and everyone really, really likes it. It's the next, I get next phase, next movie in the, I guess, true crime, just craziness that people go nuts for on Netflix. Um, so this movie, um, there was a, I think it was a year, a year or so ago, there was a horrible murder. Um, it was the Chris Watts murder. Long story short, he killed his wife and two daughters, just horrible. Um, and so this documentary is basically splicing together the chain of events in that murder leading up to his confession and all the, like all the machinations that went through that, uh, based on, uh, police footage and like social media footage and cell phone footage, like wherever they could get stuff. And then they even have text messages from Chris Watts to his, um, wife, his wife who he killed us, Shanann. Um, but yeah, it's so it's it's tracing all these events and going back and forth in time, and it is just so tone deaf, and I really, really don't like it. And people are going nuts for it. I feel like it's like a mini, a mini Tiger King of sort, where it's this crazy real life story that people are going nuts for. And the documentary itself is really, really riveting. Um, I can't remember the who the director of it off the hand, but I think she does a really good job splicing this together and making it really exciting to watch. Um, but yeah, it is so, um, it just has no morals in it. It's just narrativizing this awful, really just terrible event and trying to make it really exciting and manipulating all this drama and like giving you all these reveals. And it's just so forced. Um, and there's like moments where they're showing like, it's like a dramatic reenactment of these texts going back and forth between the husband and wife. And there's like, they like misspell texts and they have to like go back and delete stuff and then add the actual text. It's just so weird and manufactured. Um, and then you like, then they like highlight the, the, per, the, the part of the text that you're supposed to focus on. Like, whoa, look at this. Look what, look what they said. Uh, it's just, um, I really don't like it. And I think it's pretty invasive. Um, 
it's just I don't think it it, it should exist. But uh, yeah, people really really like it. <laughs> um, it's just another reason why Netflix is so good is because of all this true crime stuff that they do. Um, and yeah, they just this movie is doing nuts. And I think it, even in terms of like their movies and TV shows combined, I think this is like the top thing viewed over the weekend. It's it's craziness to me. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of the Netflix method, though. <laughs> yeah, it's so. Oh my god, it it, it just it get it gets you at first because it's really really interesting and it has a a strong mystery to it. And you're like, what is this? And it it for it kind of tricks you into not thinking that it's a real event that happened for a while, um, and then it kind of starts to show its cards and you think, Oh my God, I feel sick to my stomach. I shouldn't be watching this. This is very invasive. And they show like, they show uh, his detainment footage of people questioning him and his polygraph te- uh, test. And it's, it's just not good. I, I don't know. There people seem to love this and are going nuts for it. And there's all these crazy articles about like, Oh, what happened to the family since then? Or where are they now? And it's, it just, it makes me feel scuzzy. Uh, I don't know. It, I feel like there's a, an entire different conversation to have about this, but um, yeah, don't watch it. Watch something else. Watch <laughs> No Holmes again. It's delightful. But will it be a society breaking cultural phenomenon like Tiger King? <laughs> I hope not. Tiger King is at least a, a little more interesting and um, has more stuff going on in it. But yeah, I hope I hope people don't watch it that much because I don't want to. I don't want to have to hear about it because I'm annoying. I'm annoyed and crusty about it. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you, you take solace in knowing that I, I've never heard of it, so that's good. I'm proud of you. Good job, Brennan. <laughs> I, knew I, liked, I knew I liked you. Uh, yeah, that is American Murder. Um, Anola Holmes is still performing pretty well. It's still in the top three. Um, a lot of times. You either see a Netflix movie just stay at the top one for forever or it just disappears within a week. Um, so it's nice to see Anola Holmes still hanging in there. Um, and then Yogi Bear just baffles me because everyone kind of loathed that movie when it came out. And it's, it's in the top five. <laughs> um, and then Vampires versus Brook or versus the Bronx. I have not seen, but I'm really intrigued by this premise. Um which is basically like gentrification, but through the lens of vampires attacking the Bronx. Um, so I'm definitely going to try and watch it sometime this week. I saw this movie. It's fun. I liked it a lot. Um, it's very much, it's the plot where the kids know the, what the evil thing that's going on and no one else believes them. All the adults are like, ah, oh, you're in trouble. Get back in the house. You, how dare you run around? And they're like, no, but it's vampires. And they're like, are you crazy? What is happening with you? Um, it's very much that plot that you've seen so many different times where um, they just have to figure out how to solve the case while no one believes them. And then eventually people come to their side. But yeah, it's a great little premise for a movie. Um, these vampires are just basically just a real estate company. It's kind of funny. It's a, it's a real estate company shell for a bunch of vampires. They're going to take over in the neighborhood. Um, <laughs> Shea Wiggum is the, is, is in there too. One of my favorite character actors. And also um, had his legendary Joker performance as the cop who watched Joaquin Phoenix dance to um, Gary Glitter on the stairs. Just great performance there. Um, yeah. I like this movie. It's, you know, you, you know what you're going to get. It's silly. It's like an, it's like 85 minutes. It doesn't overstay. It's welcome. And it's, there's nothing amazing about it, but yeah, it's about gentrification. Uh, and I think it realizes that concept pretty well. Um, 
And another little, little weird tidbit is Zoe Zeldana is in this movie for two minutes in the cold open. Uh, it's just weird you're just like oh is that Zoe Saldana yes it is (laughs) and then she's just gone from the movie Uh, it's very strange but um, yeah I like this movie Method Man plays a priest it's pretty funny Uh, (laughs) I like it yeah and then there's really not a whole lot else going on in the top 10 Uh, we already talked about Real Steel somewhat extensively last week and that's weird resurgence um, but Netflix did have another release that didn't quite crack the top 10, uh, but was a huge buzz at Sundance. Uh, this is one of the movies that I heard people talking about and just praising the entire festival. Um, I sat in a line for an hour and a half trying to get in and unfortunately did not. Uh, but I'm hoping to watch it sometime in the next couple of days. And basically the premise of Dick Johnson is dead is that this woman, uh, Kristen Johnson, the filmmaker, Um, is making this documentary about her father's death, even though he's not actually yet dead. Um, And it's just like a look at how you process death and, and like enjoying his or looking back on his life while he's still here. And, you know, just making that connection with your parents while they're still able to maintain it. Yeah. (laughs) And the thing you forgot to mention there is that these are stunt uh, person deaths so he's <laughs> falling downstairs and he's in a pool of blood uh looking dead and he's getting like he's falling a few stories or there's a i don't even i don't want to ruin the the cold open to this movie but it's one of the funniest things i've ever seen i laughed so so hard um yeah i was lucky enough to see this back at sundance this was the last movie i saw just unbelievable way to end my festival and it's one of my favorite movies of the year still it's so great uh, this is the documentary that released on Netflix this week that you should be watching instead. It's so good. Um, and I actually caught up with Kirsten Johnson's last movie, a camera person, which is basically uh, it's stitched together. Or I don't know how, however many decades she's worked as a cinematographer, uh, all these different, all this different footage of her work as in documentaries just over time. And it just shows, first of all, it's just a great travel because she's like going to Bosnia then Texas and all Zambia, all these crazy places. Uh, but it's also, it's basically one of the best movies I've ever seen about filmmaking because it explains through cutting all these uh, different pieces of footage together throughout time. It shows just how, what film can do in terms of giving people a voice and exploring fascinating and top topics or topics that should be focused on and just, exploration of the self instead and it it reminded me a lot of dick johnson is dead too because um her mother also died of alzheimer alzheimer's and or died of alzheimer's because dick johnson is still alive thank god uh but it's a very interesting mirror to look back at her as well because i think she talks about it and dick johnson is dead too but yeah um two great documentaries dick johnson is dead is unbelievable it's really really funny can't recommend it enough it's also less than 90 minutes too so just it's perfect it's it's a perfect little movie i love it so much yeah i can't wait to check it out it's so funny it's one of the fun it's it's so funny it'll make you cry really really hard it's all earned it's it's so good dick johnson uh kirsten johnson's dad is hilarious he's just a really good guy to interview and be the center of something like this um you just every time he does something you just give a great big smile on your face he's so great um yeah, this movie is just really, really terrific. Yeah, and that is pretty much what's going on at Netflix. Um, but then we've all been watching, or at least trying to watch as much as we can, uh, stuff in our own right. 
I know I've been doing some spooky movies, and I know, uh, Nick, you've got a, a pretty big spooky recommendation. Uh, but, Brennan, if you want to take it away with what you've been watching lately. Yeah, so one thing I'll mention real quick, just because it was a little eventful for me, got out of the house and uh, watched um, The Personal History of David Copperfield at theaters, actually. Um, because, I mean, cases are now starting to rise again here, so um, <laughs> I wanted to go before uh, the theaters are re-closed. Uh, However, um, it was pretty cool because I think it was just like four people total in, in a theater that sits like 60 or something like that. And I kept my mask on the whole time. It's pretty good. Um, pro tip, just breathe through your nose, and it's completely fine. You can have it on for hours. Um but uh, The Personal History of David Copperfield, starring Dev Patel, was very delightful, very good movie. Um, it uh, debuted at TIFF back in 2019, and it took a while for it to get out. I, I'm not sure if COVID had anything to do with it, um, but this was a good time for sure. Uh, I don't know if you, get, you guys have seen this at all. Um, I don't know how it's going to get distributed in the U.S. or if it went to theaters in a limited run or something like that, but this was good. Um, I don't know if it has an, enough awards potential just because I don't think it's really um, really kind of taken off that much. But Dev Patel, I mean, this is a good year for him. He's got the other A24 film as well that I know Nick is uh, looking forward to. Um, but yeah, this was a good movie for sure. A little bit rushed for me near the end. I don't want to uh, spill too much about the movie, but it was a good time. Yeah, I think it's just a very pleasant movie. Um, it just kind of filled me with joy the same way that Enola Holmes did. Um, they really remind me of each other, and it's just like this nice little whimsical story. It's just pleasant, even when it's sad. And um, Hugh Laurie is just, he's funny in this. Yeah, he, Hugh Laurie and Tilda Swinton, all mm -hmm. of their scenes together were just beautiful. Uh, okay. Tilda Swinton, like, screaming at donkeys was <laughs> just probably one of the funniest <laughs> things I've seen this year. And then um, I have been watching spooky movies primarily. Um, so I watched What We Do in the Shadows for the probably like 50th time uh, the other day. And then some friends and I watched It Follows last night, uh, which I'd only seen like the last 45 minutes of it before. Uh, so this was my first time going through the full movie. And it's just really well executed. Um, I think it's a concept that could easily become boring. Uh, but there's obviously some nice subtext about like STDs and kind of the stigmas around sex um, when you're a teenager. And um, it's also just creepy and gross and horrifying. And you're just unsettled the entire time because it could be anybody just kind of walking towards you. Um, and I think it's just a, a very well balanced horror movie. I had a lot of Micah Monroe stock after and follows. I don't really know what she's been up to. I mean, she was in that Greta movie. Did either of you guys see that? I think I was the only person in the world to see that movie. Um, <laughs> but she pops up. Oh, she was in The Guest, which is a really terrific movie as well um, by Adam Wingard. But I don't know. I, I feel like after I saw It Follows and I saw her in it, I thought she was going to be a huge star. But it seems like she just really likes horror movies. So I don't know. But I still have my stock. I think she's great. Yeah, she was also in Honey Boy with Shia LaBeouf last year. Was she in uh, that? Which was, I don't remember her in that. It was just like his... Yeah, she was one of the people in the uh, like hospital, I believe. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's right. In Shia LaBeouf's personal therapy movie. 
She was also an Independence Day resurgence a few years ago. <laughs> Maybe that's where the stock went away. <laughs> Ooh, she did, yeah, she did that in the fifth wave in the same year. Um, it's a it's a rough year. She also did Tau. Remember Tau? Do you even know what Tau is? I don't even think I know what Tau is. <laughs> uh, the poster looks familiar, but the actual movie, uh, no. I think it's one of those terrible Netflix movies. Uh, anyway, um, I really like her, and I think this is one of the better female performances in a horror movie that I can remember as of late, or like the last de- decade or something like that. I think she is terrific in this movie. Yeah. Um, I, I I just, I think it's very good. Um, like, there's really not anything to complain about with it follows. Like, it, it works. It knows when it's got its point across. It dips out at like the hour and 35 minute mark. Um, just a really, really well done horror movie. And then, Nick, I believe you also had a horror movie in your suggestion box. Yeah. To talk about that? <laughs> I would love to talk about Possessor again because I'm a strange man who wants to continue talking about this movie. Um, I saw this at back at Sundance, so I guess I'm cheating because I haven't seen it recently. But it came out in theaters this week. And I'm not going to tell you to go to theaters because that's just not a good idea in many places in the world right now. But... Uh, Possessor is coming to streaming, I believe, on November 6th. I don't know where it's coming to. My guess is maybe Hulu because they it's distributed through Neon and Neon and Hulu have a big um, deal together. But Possessor is one of the most insane movies I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and that's not hyperbole. This movie's insane. <laughs> uh, and I don't really even want to describe much about it except that basically the plot is that a, a big shadow company uh, is using brain implant technology to so that assassins can take over the consciousness of other people and perform uh, assassinations. And then uh, that person gets killed, uh, the, per- the person they took over, and then they can just exit out of that person's co- consciousness without a trace. Um, so just a really interesting, good sci-fi concept. And it's uh, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, so uh, David Cronenberg's son. Uh, and it is just as vile as you would probably think a movie from uh, David Cronenberg's son would be. Uh, he also made a really good movie, Antiviral, a few uh, years ago that I think is pretty good, but uh, is very much proto whatever the hell Possessor is. <laughs> this movie is – I'm so happy it's being um, – marketed as possessor uncut because i don't know this movie is nc-17 at the very least i don't know how you make this movie r or anything less than that it is just the most vile thing and there's just sex happening and just erections it is just all it's crazy and then there's like it's a fever dream of just madness and the way he chose con- the, the con- consciousness fighting with each other so the big thing with this is Andrew Riseborough enters the the body of Christopher Abbott, who I just love in every movie he's in. But something goes wrong, so their two consciousnesses are battling in Christopher Abbott's body, and it's just going. It's just pure insanity. Um, Sean Bean's in it too. He's great. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee runs the uh, Shadow Company, and she's terrific as well. Um, I hope people check this one out. Uh, you probably you may not like it because it is one of the most insane things. It is unrelentingly bloody and terrifying to watch but it's also amazing i think i think i don't know if i quite love it but there's so much in it i love about it um that i want everyone to go see it eventually so tuck that away for whenever you can see it safe 
I'll make a mental note. <laughs> Please see it. I want to talk. I want to do a four-hour pod about this movie. I would love I, that. I was close, as I said. I was close to seeing it yesterday. So I mean, it might happen soon. So, yeah. Speaking of four-hour podcasts, uh, this week we'll see the release of the long-awaited Hubie Halloween, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> after Sandler. Uh, was not nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor last year after Uncut Gems. At the Screen Actors Guild Award ceremony, he swore that he would make the worst movie ever. And now Hubie Halloween is here. Um, it will be on Netflix on Wednesday. It's just Sandler hanging out with his friends, but with costumes. Uh, well, with Halloween-centered costumes this time. Uh, so it should be pretty exciting. Uh, but remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. We'll be back next week talking about Hubie Halloween. Um, and as a final message, if you're the guy that punched Rick Moranis, we're coming for you. <laughs>